I'm starting. And I'm drinking. Today at Here's What I Know, we're doing something that we don't normally do at work, and probably most people don't do at work, and we don't advise you to do at work. We are drinking alcohol on a Thursday in the middle of the day. All right. Dan, we're not drinking alcohol. We're taking a few sips of, of red wine, and it's not really the middle of the day. It's it's past 5 o'clock, or it's exactly 5 o'clock. And besides, it fits in with what we're going to talk about. Well, I guess it all comes down to perspective, doesn't it? I mean, some per- people might say drinking alcohol. Some people might say enjoying fine wine. And it's kind of like our subject, Susan Sokol-Blosser. She came into the wine industry with no real experience in the wine industry. And some people might look at that at the perspective of she has no idea what she's doing and she's about to lose a lot of money. But actually that inexperience, it turned out to really help her because she had the perspective of not having any preconceived notions. And because of that, she was one of the first people, her winery, to make Pinot Noir in America. And she helped found the Oregon wine industry. Yeah, and as a result, the Oregon wine industry has become one of the biggest in the nation, and it's uh, actually world-renowned. Okay, so we so we wanted to sit down and talk to Susan, who is not only the co-founder of Sokol Blosser, as we said, the maker of fine wines, but her current title is President and Still the Grand Poobah. And I think she says Still the Grand Poobah because she is in the midst of handing the family winery over to her children. Alex, her son, and Allison, her daughter. Both of them are vice presidents now, and they are taking over the winery. Well, enough of us drinking and arguing. Let's get to hear what Susan Sokolblosser has to know. <laughs> so from her office in the Dundee Hills of Oregon, here's what Susan Sokolblosser knows. Yeah, like he said. Susan, you came into the wine industry as a total outsider. What are the advantages and disadvantages to joining an industry with no preconceived notion? We had more guts than brains. You know, what were we doing going into farming? We had, you know, and starting a business, we had we were liberal arts majors for Pete's sake. We had <laughs> no farming training, no business training. Um, they told us we could do anything with a liberal arts education, <laughs> and I guess we're living proof that that's true. So here we are, going, starting something with no training and choosing to grow a grape that had never done well in the United States, Pinot Noir, and choosing a region that had no wine industry, Oregon. If we had been farmers, we never would have done that. If we had been business people, we never would have done that. It was a stupid, stupid thing to do from all traditional ways of looking at the world. A big advantage is that if you really knew what you were doing, you wouldn't do it. And so sometimes it's good not to know. Susan, why did you do what you did then? Well, (laughs) it was sort of a whim that came up. I mean, Bill had this idea, let's start a vineyard. But the more we talked about it, the more interesting it became. And then we started, you know, as good liberal arts majors, we did a lot of research and found out that, you know, Oregon, which is where we had been living, didn't have a wine industry, but it could. I look back and I think we were part of the back to the land movement of the early 1970s. The thing that appealed, you know, in going back to the land was not simply growing something, 
you know, corn or soybeans wouldn't have done it for us. But, you know, we were urban and cultured. We wanted to grow something that added to the quality of life. And uh, wine was part of culture and civilization. So it had a, there was an aesthetic component to growing wine grapes that I think still inspires people. You grow something and then you make something that is wonderful, that enhances life. And all of us who were looking at growing grapes were young urban professionals. And we did the kind of thing you do when you're young and you're, you think you can do anything and you're willing to risk everything. You know, we knew we were taking a big risk. We were willing to do it. That's why I say more guts than brains. But because of those no preconceived notions, you now produce Pinot Noir, and, and you were among the first to produce it in the country, correct? Yes. And also, you, like you said, you helped launch the Oregon wine industry, which is, which is quite large now, right? Well, yes. I mean, you know, every state in the Union has a wine industry, and they're all very proud of them, but there are only three that have gone beyond state lines in terms of distribution and reputation, and they're all on the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington. You know, we are uh, distributed internationally, so and in every state in the Union. So it's um, in the space of one generation, this business, which didn't exist when we started, has become an international phenomenon. How did you know where to begin if, if you had no experience with winemaking to, to do your due diligence? And well, why Pinot Noir, too? I mean, why'd you pick that one? <laughs> well, I grew up in the Midwest, and my father had a small business which led him to France every year, and he became a wine aficionado. So I grew up drinking fine burgundies, and that was my taste. When I married Bill Blosser, he really loved Pinot Noir. So Pinot Noir, um, the red grape of Burgundy, became our love, and we wanted to see where we could grow it. And it just, we had been in Oregon, we had lived in Oregon, and it just seemed that that would work. And then we found that Charles Curry had written a master's thesis at Davis on the climate-soil um, connection between Oregon and Washington for Pinot Noir. So you have in Oregon, his thesis said, the perfect terroir, you know, what we call terroir, the perfect place where everything comes together in just the right way. That was one bit of research. I mean, we, we researched clones and trellis systems and everything, and that is in addition to the legalities. What do we have to do to become a vineyard, and to, which is not much, but to become a bonded winery, there are a gazillion regulations. So out of curiosity, how long did all this take before you had your first... Uh vine in the ground or your first uh, case well, of wine? Well, interesting, because we decided we wanted to um, start a vineyard at the same time that I became pregnant with my first child. Our oh, first my gosh. Child. Wow. And so, you know, I, we really, I look at it as we both gave birth, you know. Both of those changed our lives forever <laughs> in significant ways. 
That's a crazy amount of transitions you're going through all at once. Talk about Well, yes, that was a big year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, then it was a, a, a learning curve that went straight up um, for the next 10 years. Once you realize that having a winery isn't all the glamour that it seems like, but it's hard work, and especially, you know, while you're trying to start your family and all, did you have times when you were discouraged and, and uh, it seemed like that you had made a mistake? And if so, how did you get through those rough times? In the 1990s, things were bad. This was a recession. The interest rate had gone up to, I think, prime was at 18 or 20. You know, we were had borrowed money. It was Things looked really bad, and our standard of living had deteriorated, and one of us needed to get a job. Bill was the one that went back to work, and I've been running it since January 1st, 1991. So you actually turned it around. I mean, obviously, yes, economic yes. conditions changed. And I'd like to say it was my great business acumen, but, you know, it was part, very much because times got better and the Oregon wine industry started to come of age. I mean, it's also because I work my butt off. But well, well, yeah, and, and, and you have to take advantage of those conditions, too. Exactly. Are there <laughs> lessons that, that you can share with us about, like, okay, how do you take advantage of an upturn? Well, you know, I think this is true of most businesses. Um it's the same idea that when they say all politics is local, all business is personal. It's all done person to person. And I just got out in the streets and, and met the people that we dealt with and established relationships. I think that's the key, is if people feel that you are interested in them, in the success of their business, they want to help you in yours. I read that you said that you know the quality of wine is, is the most important thing and the right winemaker is the most important. How did you know who you could trust and you know how did you find the right mentors and the right right partners to work with? Well, we haven't always found the right partners and mentors and some have been terrific and some have been mediocre and some have been terrible. You don't know really until you get into the thick of things. And some people came with great recommendations and didn't live up to expectations. And some people we took a chance on because we didn't know anything about them. We just felt good about them, and they were terrific. I guess my advice on that would be find out as much as you can. Always check references. Always, always, always check references. And then go with your gut. Okay, and some people you hired you actually have... Uh, a real close connection to because you're a family-run business. You know, we never encouraged our kids to come into the business. Partly, I think, because it was so tough and it took all our energy and all our time and all our devotion. So, um, in terms of, of working with family, what special precautions do you take to make sure that the family members who have positions of authority are given the respect they deserve from other employees and, and, and every employee knows that there's an element of fairness there and it's not just an issue of nepotism? Family business, because it has the emotional overlay of, of, of family on top of business, is difficult. However, how neat 
to be working with people that you love. When I decided it was time to start turning over the business to Alex and Allison, we hired a um, a consultant, and she was terrific. Boy, she just asked all the tough questions, and it gave us a level of comfort to talk with her because she we knew she would get everything on the table and we would have a frank discussion, things that we might not be willing to bring up ourselves at the time. We certainly are now because she's trained us. It was also important that Alex and Allison go out and get some other experience so that they would have credibility when they came into the business. And um, they're very aware that of their position, that they're young, they've got a lot of power, and they need to wield it wisely. The other challenge is for them to get along, and we have a business coach for them to help them um, well, to help them work out their concerns with each other as much as anything. And I wanted to do that while they, they're good friends, they get along great, they're very, very different, and I wanted them to learn how to manage their differences while they were still getting along and not wait until they got into trouble before giving them you know, a, a, a safety net. That sounds like a very wise move. I'm trying to uh, give them all the help I can, realizing, of course, that I am, as much as I would like to mentor them, I'm in many ways not the right person to do it. My mother is not the right one. (laughs) I was thinking about, uh, Dan and I are actually related. Um, He's my son-in-law, so I can imagine if my mother told me what to do in my business, I'd go nuts. But (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly, and that's been a real challenge for me while I have given them power and authority for me to stop making decisions, and which has become second nature for me over the last 20 years. What's been harder? What was harder, sort of um, knowing, not knowing things and having to make all these decisions or knowing things and then not making the decisions? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> Um, both. If you don't know something, the feeling in your stomach when you make a decision, not knowing what's going to happen, is difficult. When you know something and you could make the decision and you have to watch as your kids struggle with it, when you could just come in and make it, um, that's hard too. And if I, if I do say something, then I get so angry at myself for butting in. So there have been times when they when they have said to me, Mom, we need to do this. Stay out, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they're right, which also is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet. Does that hurt right. you or does it make you angry? What does that do to well, you? What makes I mean... me angry with myself, that they, hmm. I had to push them to the point where they had to tell me, which I know is difficult for them. So I'm learning. It's always new. It's it's a different on-the-job training, but um, it's the latest one, and I guess that's the good news. Well, also, you do more than make wine. You're a steward of the land you own, uh, Sokol Blossers. Well, that, yes, that's really important to us. I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. 
you know, our, our vision is to make fabulous, sought-after wines, wines that are not just wonderful, but they're so good people seek them out. But it's also really important to us how we make those. One of our values is to be as sustainable as we can across the operation. In other words, look at everything we do through the lens of how good to the earth are we in doing this? How sustainable is this? And our barrel cellar became the first farm building and first winery in the world to get their LEED certification, which is Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. How do you find the right balance, you know, um, looking into, you know, the sustainable, organic way? I mean, it, it adds paperwork. It, it adds more work. And, and I, think it, I think it costs more. I mean, how are you finding the right balance? Because this is a deeply held commitment, we're willing to do the extra paperwork. And because we feel, I feel very strongly that, Sustainability, well, it start, I knew it was going to. It's become so trendy that everybody is jumping on the sustainability bandwagon and saying, I'm sustainable, I'm sustainable, when they don't really understand how difficult it is and what it really means. So it's been important for us to do the paperwork and get the third-party certification to show that we are who we say we are. So that's another important component, the authenticity of it. Sometimes it is too expensive and we can't do it. We have to stay in business. We will do, you know, we have to make compromises. We will never be truly sustainable. It's the goal that we are after. Are there some similarities between creating a career and creating a fine wine? Have you found that? I never had the vision that I would be a business person. Whereas when I create a fine wine, I know from the beginning, from planting that vine, what outcome I want. There's no mm -hmm. zigzagging except dealing with what Mother Nature throws at you. Whereas in a career, you may think this is what you want, but you're, most people zigzag and do a lot of different things. And you never know what from one part of your life you will build on to make the next part. Susan, as president of Sokol Blosser Winery, isn't just a steward of the land. She's, she's about sustainability in a lot of ways. She's sustaining her business. She's sustaining her family and her career, along with sustaining and creating a great wine and sustaining the earth. As you think about the sustainability that Susan's able to have throughout her career, think about your career. We always hear about outsourcing and downsizing and right-sizing. Where will your career be in 50 years? How sustainable is the way you make income? And when you think about that, don't just think about what you know. But think about what you don't know. That spark of curiosity that might lead to a new insight, to a new way of doing things that can really change your career. As you ponder those thoughts and you enjoy your favorite beverage, we recommend Meditrina by Sokol Blosser Winery, what we're drinking right now, feel free to drop us a line with any unique insights. We'll keep it simple for you. Just email a note to podcast at mindpulseinc.com. That's podcast at m-i-n-d-p-u-l-s-e-i-n-c.com. To learn more about Susan, you can read her book, 
at home in the vineyard, cultivating a winery, an industry, and a life. So this episode of Here's What I Know has been brought to you by the letter M. Just pick up a bottle of Meditrina and read about the letter M that they have on the label. We hope that this episode of Here's What I Know adds to what you know. And here's to your success. Thank you.